I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Before we begin, some questions. Who will win the White House? Will there be a contested convention this summer? What about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And if you really want to know how good the Cook Political Report is, well, you'll want to listen up because we've got the real thing. Charlie Cook is editor and publisher of the Cook Political Report. He is also a National Journal columnist, and it's only a slight exaggeration that there is nothing in the political world that Charlie can't analyze, clarify, or explain, which is good news, because we've got plenty to cover. On the Republican side, are votes enough? Donald Trump keeps winning them, but do they translate into enough delegates? And if not, then what? For Democrats, can Hillary Clinton finally start her victory lap? And assuming she wins the nomination, has she been pulled too far left? How does she translate her message for more centrist general election voters? That's why we turn to Cook Political. And Charlie, thanks for joining me. Now, I I just want to clarify, though, for any listeners who do take us up on the offer and sign up for your report via cookpolitical.com slash political wire, they don't actually get you personally, right? I mean, it's it's the report. (laughs) You you don't show up for dinner. Yeah, go ahead. We have a great team. We have... uh, uh, five really, really, really talented people that are, you know, uh, Jennifer Duffy doing Senate governor's races and, and, uh, David Wasserman, the house and, uh, Amy Walter is sort of, uh, we have two national voices. I'm one, Amy's the other. And we've got, uh, a couple of other very, very talented people. Allie Wynn runs the website and Ashton Berry sort of runs everything else. And so we've got, it's a, it's a team effort. It's not just me. Back in the old days when I started in 1984 and for the first few years, it was just me. But I will say that the intro, uh, I did not write that. So if the Federal Trade Commission comes after somebody, they're coming after you, not me. Okay. We'll, we'll stand in the way. That's, that's probably part of our relationship. So you probably made sure that we, we agreed that any incoming, we take that first, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let, but let, you're right. I mean, this has been just the wildest year. And, you know, you think about what's a political analyst? What, what do we normally do? You know, you look at the voting, you look at voting behavior over the years, you look for patterns, you look for precedent, and when, when applicable, you, 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 you use those to sort of try to figure out what in the world is going on and what happens next. And I will tell you, very, very little that's ever happened in American political history is particularly relevant this year. So it's just sort of one week at a time. Well, that's, that's, you know what, you've gone directly to my, my very last question for you, which was, you know, historically, is there anything that, that you, you know, kind of refer to? And, and, and the answer is not. So 
Um, so, so let's look forward. Um, let, let's start with the Republicans. Um, you know, Donald Trump won New York. He has brought in some political pros to organize and run his campaign, uh, Paul Manafort and uh, Rick Wiley. Their mission is clear, get the delegates. Um, I know you've been writing about this, but just to get your latest thinking, um, which side of the 1237 line do you see Trump falling? Well, I think he's going to come up short, but really the question is how short? Is it close enough that he just falls over the finish line with forward momentum, or is it short enough that uh, he hits a wall that, that stands before 1,237 delegates? That I, I have been one of the most skeptical people on the planet about Donald Trump winning the Republican nomination, extremely skeptical. And and from week to week, it's fluctuated a little bit, but not that much. And right now, we're at a point where uh, things have looked very, very, very good for Trump uh, uh, back, you know, in in, uh, in in New York State. And the next week or so looks like it'll be awfully good for him. But I I would I you know had assumed a lot of that would happen. But what was not baked into the assumptions that I was making was, number one, a real campaign would be put together, and two, that Trump would suddenly become start behaving more like a normal candidate. And with Rick Wiley, with Paul Manafort, you are starting to see a real campaign uh, emerge as, as opposed to a candidate, an airplane, an advanced team, which was basically what you had before. And I, I, you know, they're still getting outmaneuvered uh, in state after state behind the scenes by the Cruz people. But uh, this new Trump campaign shows more potency than the old Trump campaign did. And it makes a difference, doesn't it? I mean, you you have felt that, um, and, and you you wrote that. Um, it's a do or die situation for Donald Trump, meaning the first ballot at the uh, Republican National Convention. Right. He he better take it. Do you still feel that way? He better take it in the yeah, first I mean, ballot. Yeah, I mean, Nate Silver coined a phrase, first ballot or bust. And I think that's absolutely right, that if this thing goes to a second, third, fourth ballot, it's it the odds for Trump go way, way, way down. So first ballot, you know, it either happens or it doesn't happen. I, I, I don't think think he's going to come out of June 7, uh, you know, California, New Jersey, South Dakota, a couple other states. I don't think he's going to come out of, of June 7 with 1237, but is it close enough? And while, you know, we're built on sort of the premise of, you know, the process is built on not, not who has the most votes, but it's majority rules. I mean, that's who wins conventions. But does he, is he close enough to a majority that he can pick up a couple dozen, three dozen random unbound delegates uh, and 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 pull them his way, and and that's to me that's a sixty four thousand dollar question that none of us know right now, uh, but I think the odds are that he will be short of twelve thirty seven out of coming on June seven, but how short? And that's that's really what it's all about. Um, I've been very, very, I mean, to me, the, the Cruz campaign, and he may not be Mr. Congeniality, but his campaign is extraordinarily sophisticated, extraordinarily competent, 
and they are dotting the I's and crossing the T's. They are doing the blocking and tackling and any other uh, uh, cliche I could possibly use. They are doing that in all these states. But this new Trump campaign does that overcome that technical advantage that the Cruz people had and and the broader resistance to Donald Trump. And, And will the establishment sort of get over they, I mean, the, the the establishment Republicans, they don't, they don't hate Ted Cruz. They loathe him. They despise him. But they have no use for Trump, and so they're just really torn. You know, they 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 don't have enough strength to nominate their own person, but they ha- do have enough where they can sway it one direction or the other. And and we don't know which way it will go, but there sure are a lot of establishment people that are making Trump noises, not because they like Trump, they think he could win, or they think he'd be a good president, as much as they, they, they their the animosity towards Cruz is so great that it sort of keeps it pulls people that you wouldn't expect to to sort of uh, put a finger on the on the scale for 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 Trump. It's an incredible situation for the Republican establishment to be in. The, the, the one we loathe versus the one we have no use for, is that kind of where they're at? Yeah. I mean, I guess because the thing about it is there's sort of a, you know, you talk to sort of establishment Republicans and more conventional types, and they will absolutely concede that Ted Cruz is incredibly bright, he's incredibly knowledgeable, he's incredibly gifted on a lot of levels, but in a way that almost works against him because they see his decision to move, uh, to, to shut down the government over Obamacare, that he knows, you know, unlike some of these chuckleheads, he knows better and did it anyway. And he jeopardized their jobs, he jeopardized the party, and he did it anyway. And so this is really, really, really personal with them. And I think for him, he knew that anybody that was even acceptable to the establishment would not win a Republican nomination in 2016. That everything had changed, and that the 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 establishment was like a scarlet letter. That it was a it was a deal breaker, given how much anger is out there in the party. So it's a, it really is a fascinating situation. You know that that's such an interesting take on it that it's really personal, and that's kind of how it feels. I mean the the level of the. Um, anger and the never Trump and the anger towards Cruz. I mean, you, you do absolutely as an outsider, you do, you get the sense the only way to drive that type of sentiment, that type of emotion is for something to be personal. And, and, and you're right. Your analysis, um, makes a lot of sense on that, on that front. And I want to ask you as well in a moment about the extremes about, and on both parties. And, and you've written about this the way both parties are kind of being pulled to their extremes. But, but before I get to that, on this personal front, and then on this choice that they're facing, and we're not even talking about Kasich, and as you've, you've written as well, um, this is now a binary contest. I'm quoting you now. It's either going to be uh, uh, Trump or, or Cruz. But, but given the, this personal nature and all of this animosity and the establishment feeling, how much do you buy into the Republican sky is falling storyline? Do you, do you in fact see that part you know, imploding under the Trump-Cruz, never-Trump uh, battle lines, or, or is that just a, a bunch of talk? Well, if you put blinders on, 
And then you ex- focus exclusively on how problematic Donald Trump is, how problematic uh, Ted Cruz is, the challenges, the demographic challenges facing the Republican Party, how they've exacerbated. You just look at you look at those things and you say there's no way Republicans can win. But if you keep those blinders on and look the other direction, and you look at Hillary Clinton's challenges, I mean, someone the the in this week's NBC Wall Street Journal poll, thirty two percent view her positively, fifty six negative. That's down 24 points. I mean, she's gone in December 2012, which was one of the last months she was Secretary of State. She was at 58.28, so she was net plus 30. Now she's net minus 24. Among independents, as of, as of this past weekend, 20% of independents see her positively. 62% see her negatively. Minus 42 net. Net, net negative or 42 points more negative than positive. You look at that and say, holy mackerel, that, that's someone. And, and if you probe with independence, they tend to have a complicated, nuanced view of Hillary Clinton. On the one hand, they tend to see her as smart, knowledgeable, competent, tested, but they don't like her and they don't trust her. And you, you, so you, you ask yourself, how does that work out? And it's like the woman who was asked by a friend, how's your husband? And her response was, compared to what? I mean, how will <laughs> Hillary Clinton do compared to who? And that's where it really matters. And you look at John Kasich, enormously qualified, ideologically well-positioned for a general election, geographically well-positioned, uh, you know, with Ohio. And, and, and he would, you know, Kasich would probably beat Hillary Clinton like a rented mule. Hmm. But... I don't see a path for the nomination. I mean, the thing about it is 80, 85% of the delegates going into Cleveland are going to either be Trump delegates or Cruz delegates. So where do you get, where do you get eight states with a majority of the delegates signing a piece of paper saying they're, that they're for John Kasich uh, to, get it, to get his name placed in nomination? Or where do you get 50% of the delegates voting to change the rules? I don't with 80, 85 percent of the delegates for for Trump or Cruz. I don't see that happening. And so what you know, Trump is is um, his his numbers in a general election are horrific. And with Cruz, it's it's you know, it's it's at least competitive. Um, You know, it's two, three points where she's averaging. I think the the conventional wisdom is that Cruz is further back than that. But at least the. You know, if you look at the averages, if you look at the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, no, actually, it's quite close. But uh, that doesn't matter with a lot of the establishment types that have such a a personal animus towards him. And so if I were to think about and and trying to interpret some of the analysis that that I've I've read of yours, if it does end up Clinton versus Trump, is it a question almost of um, who is dislike last? Less. Whereas if it's Clinton versus Cruz, and you really talked about this, that for the Republicans, in some way, 
Cruz would answer this question that they've been you know, fighting about internally on the Republican side, going back to McCain, going with Romney, that, that what we've really needed is a true conservative. If they, if they nominate Cruz, they'll have that true conservative, and then it will be, you know, and we'll, we can talk about the extremes and, and is, you know, is Hillary far left enough for the, the Democratic Party and, and, and all of that. But, but it then becomes a question of which ideology do Americans subscribe to? Is that, is that fair? to 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 kind yeah. of describe the two potential outcomes yes no chris you're you're absolutely right there's been this long battle you know when you know from conservatives say when do we get to nominate a real conservative in this theory that there is a hidden conservative vote and i don't really buy that there is a hidden conservative vote in the swing states that matter if there were a bunch of conservatives that live in texas or tennessee or idaho that didn't get excited and didn't show up to vote for Mitt Romney, you know, okay, fine. But in the states that matter, Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, New Hampshire, Ohio, Iowa, Colorado, Nevada, in those states, I don't think there's any evidence of any conservatives saying on the sidelines. But the Cruz, uh, Cruz Clinton would be a very, very stark ideological choice. And I think it would start to resolve the question, although you might have some, you know, if Cruz lost, you might have some say, well, you can't pick an acerbic conservative. So some might kind of quibble with that. But I think it's a basically, it, it, that would solve a useful purpose of resolving this fight. But with Trump being a non-ideological candidate, and where if you had to say, what is Donald Trump's ideology? It's, I'm really, really smart, and I can solve anything. But that's sort of not really a philosophy, but so it would not solve this age-old uh, identity crisis within the Republican Party. But it does, there are plenty of questions about, okay, if Hillary's the nominee, do the Bernie Sanders supporters turn out? Um, you know, it's not that they're anti-Hillary, but they don't, they don't get really excited about her. So can she put someone on the ticket that excites them? Or do Republicans nominate someone that they hate or fear enough where they really will turn out? And conversely, if Trump's the nominee, do conventional Republicans show up and vote for him or show up and don't vote for him but vote for all the down ballot, or do they stay home? And if they don't nominate Donald Trump, will the Trumpeteers stay home? Or will and, – and uh, uh, you know, one thing that comes through in the polling – is you could find Republicans on either side of the immigration issue, on either side of same-sex marriage, of lots of issues, but there are two common threads through virtually all Republicans. They all hate President Obama. They all hate Hillary Clinton. So would they come out and just to vote against her, even though they're not really crazy about you know either Donald Trump or or Ted Cruz, or can one of them pick a running mate that sort of at least kind of pulls people off the ledge? Don't know. Yeah, they, they, they certainly about, you know, that question of will they go and, and vote for Republicans simply because they uh, of their dislike for Hillary Clinton. Um, it certainly wouldn't surprise people if that if that were to occur. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you hear everything and you see it and, and you certainly could could see that coming. I, I hate to turn you into a political scientist for a moment, Charlie, but this this extremism. Well, not having a Ph.D., that's, that's it's problematic. <laughs> It'll so. be hard. Well, maybe you can earn one right, real no, quick. My competitor, <laughs> Stu Rothenberg, does actually have one. And, and so he's got credentials. But let's go ahead. OK, well, let's try. We'll, we'll try to we'll you know, we'll try to outstew Stu. It, it, just, just this question of the, the extreme. 
extremism. And, and, you know, you talked about, um, you know, Kasich, the numbers are showing he, and, you know, he could beat, uh, Hillary Clinton and, and you described it even more colorfully than, than relying on just numbers. And, you know, and, and so, but on the right, he has no path to victory. In the Republican Party, he, there's no, you know, he can't make it. It's going to either be the conservative ideologist or, uh, Trump with, with his own personal philosophy that you, that you characterized. On the, on the Democratic side, you raised the, the you know, the pertinent question. Will the, this enthusiasm, you know, is, is Hillary liberal enough? Is she left enough? Will the enthusiasm that we see uh, among the Sanders supporters, will they go out and, and, and support Hillary Clinton? So you, you talk about, and both, and you've written about this, both parties being pulled to their extremes at, kind of at a macro level. Um, and because you've just kind of gone into what the, the possibilities are for, for this election and, and we'll kind of have to wait and see. But on a macro level, on, on our, you know, on how our politics runs, how our public policy runs, how the intersection between our politics and our public policy, are, are you, does this get resolved? Does this get resolved through elections? What, what, you know, have I characterized it correctly? And, and where do we go from here? What, what resolves this? Well, absolutely, Chris. I mean, the thing is, we're dealing with, you know what political i mean at the risk of impersonating a political scientist that it's it's um that each party is becoming more politic more ideologically cohesive than they ever were before i mean that we've had you know in the old days the democratic party was a center left party and the republican party was a center right party and there was a substantial overlap i mean when i was in college in the early 70s I interned on Capitol Hill for a couple of years for Senator Bennett Johnston, who is a conservative Democrat from Louisiana. Across the hall on the fourth floor of the Russell Building was Senator Edward Brooks' office, a liberal African-American Republican senator from Massachusetts, who was a heck of a lot more liberal than my boss was. And that, that was, you know, that that's the overlap that you had back in those days. But when you had the exodus of conservatives, from the South, the border South, small town, rural America, but to a lesser extent all over. When they pulled out of the Democratic Party, that party moved left. And when the liberal Republicans from the Northeast, particularly New England, from the Great Lakes, the West, when they pulled out and a lot of moderate Republicans pulled out, that party moved right. So that now there's this huge gap between the two parties. None of that overlap. And then you look, say, Hillary Clinton was at the far left of her husband's administration, and now she finds herself scrambling like mad to keep up with a party that has moved dramatically to her left. Jeb Bush was one of the most conservative governors in America. He hasn't moved any ideologically, but he got into this race only to discover that he was now on the far left of the Republican Party without having moved a bit. But, you know, whether it was immigration or education yeah, reform, yeah. common core curriculum or yeah. or or rhetorically, he 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 was out of step with where the Republican Party had gone. So the definition of liberal in the Democratic Party changed the definition of conservative in the Republican Party changed. And we have this gaping, you know, the American people are basically it's like a, a bell curve. And and uh, but with the parties the way they are, we have uh, what what they call bimodal distribution, like a camel with two humps, and the humps are moving farther and farther apart. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it you know I guess the, the what this means and 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 the effect of it and where it goes you know that's part of what the election will determine and the questions that you raised um, you know will be fascinating to see will you know will the Sanders folks support Hillary um, you know on the right if we do get uh, Cruz and it's a real you know ideological battle um, where does America fall and uh, and what would the split be it's all you know it it, it certainly would be. Fascinating. This, this is just an election with lots and lots of questions and not many answers yet. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's true. It's, it's, yeah. It's, well, uh, I, I, I'd just soon have gone through my whole career without seeing an election like this one. I, 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 I don't like it. I hate. I hate being totally confused. I would expect, and, uh, especially when uh, you know many of us turn to uh, Charlie Cook for answers. Kind of figure it out, <laughs> yeah. and when you sit down with people from you know ambassadors from other countries, and you 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 you're trying to, you know, they're looking at you like, have Americans lost their minds? And um, it, it's it's um, it's an unusual exercise of trying to explain what's going on here uh, to folks from. The other side of the Atlantic or Pacific. Yeah. Well, if you can first start with explaining, you know, helping folks on, on this side even understand, yeah. uh, so, you know, starting with me, that would that would be perfect. But before we close out, I, I can't have you on on a, a conversation and not ask about uh, Congress. Um, are, are you planning to, I mean, particularly with, you know, with what's going on at the presidential level, um, the congressional races and, and, you know, the Senate and whether, you know, will, will Democrats be able to pick up those, uh, you know, five seats for if they keep the presidency? Um, but, but I guess the, the, the question is, are you planning to focus on the Senate and the House and particularly the effect of a Trump cruise as the GOP nominee and, and what that effect would be on the down ballot races? Well, uh, Jennifer Duffy is focused on the Senate on a granular basis and David Wasserman on the House. And so we'll, we sort of speak from two voices. One of the people that are looking at it through an electron microscope and me that's more, uh, looking at it from a macro level. Um, I, 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 I think it would require the most apocalyptic scenario imaginable for Republicans to lose their majority in the House. I mean, they're, they're coming from the, they're at the highest point at any, since 1928. Um, and, and that the kinds of big seat changes that you see is this normally in midterm elections, not presidential elections. And for, and, and when we have seen big house seat changes in presidential years, it's been against the party in, in the White House, not for, for example, 1980, the Reagan-Carter election. So Democrats picking up 30 seats in the House, I have a really hard time getting there, and particularly with so many filing deadlines already passed, and, and Democrats, you know, they didn't know that the things were going to be going their way, so they didn't really have necessarily all the great candidates, but most importantly, under this map, there are just so few opportunities opportunities for gains. So I think it would take a, a, a phenomenally, a, an extraordinary set of circumstances for Democrats to take uh, a majority in the House. And conversely, in the Senate, uh, because you've got 24 Republican seats up to only 10 Democrats, because seven Republican seats are up in Obama states and zero Republicans are up in, uh, our Democrats are up in Romney states, and that six of those Republican seats in Obama states are extremely vulnerable versus only one Democratic seat that's extremely vulnerable, and it's the seat that, that President Obama actually carried narrowly, Nevada. 
so that that Republicans could just have an off night and lose their majority in the Senate. But it would take um, something bigger than a tsunami tidal wave to shift the House over. But worth remembering is in 2018, the shoes on the other foot, 25 Democratic seats up, only eight Republican seats are up. Um, and if you have a Democratic president up, midterm elections are usually bad for the party in power. But I think it, it's, it's really important for people when thinking about the Senate, always look at what happened six years earlier. Because with six-year terms, the table is set, the cards are dealt six years earlier setting up this election. And always consider, is it a presidential election year where the turnout is big and broad and diverse and looks like the country? Or is it a midterm election year when the turnout is 40 about 40% less, and it's older, wider, more conservative, more Republican. So that, and, and applying to these things, so that you could see uh, Republicans getting elected in very, very Democratic states like Mark Kirk in Illinois and Ron Johnson in Wisconsin in 2010, a fabulous midterm election year for Republicans, and then coming up in a presidential year when things aren't going, um, you know, all right for Republicans. And boy, it's awfully, awfully hard. And even for the Pat Toomey's in Pennsylvania and, and Rob Portman's in Ohio's and Kelly Ayotte's in New Hampshire, this is tough. So so we're going to be watching. Uh, we're going to be watching the Senate and the House very, very, very closely. Um, I, I tell people if I'm saying something different from what David Wasserman or Jennifer Duffy's saying, they probably ought to listen to them, not me, because uh, because I used to do all that stuff microscopically, but they still are. But um, this this is. Um, um, it's it's a it's a fascinating year, no question about it. And and that is why uh, you are Charlie Cook, the editor and publisher of the Cook Political Report, uh, where you can get everything on the House, on the Senate, on the presidential race, and how all of them will end up affecting each other. Charlie is also a columnist at the National Journal and uh, just one of our nation's leading political analysts. Charlie, thank you so much, as always, for your time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.